0: Good evening. How's everybody doing this evening? Everybody okay? Good. We're going to be in James chapter 2. I want to thank the elders for their faith in me (laughs) to do this. This is... Big opportunity for me, and I I appreciate it very much. James is one of my favorite books. You guys have heard that, what, all four lessons, I think? I mean, James is packed full, and it's a bunch of good information for us to apply to our lives. But uh, let's, let's begin in a word of prayer before we begin, okay? Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful to be here this evening and study another portion of your word from James. We ask that as we study this, Father, on favoritism and the rich and the poor that we may apply it to our lives and we may be able to be better servants of yours we ask that you be with all the teachers this evening that they may be able to convey their thoughts clearly and according to your word we're so thankful for your son who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins we ask forgiveness of those sins as we repent of them in christ's name amen I think Brian built me up just a little too much yesterday. Uh, I, I love some of the thoughts that Mitch said on Sunday. The one that was really sticking that I've used pretty much every day this week is don't let your happenings affect your mood. I love that. And I've been telling people at work that all week. Um, so there's some bits and pieces that you can pick out of all these lessons that we can just learn. Uh, This evening, we're going to be talking, we're going to be coming from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We'll read that here in just a minute. But I want to talk about the word true faith, just for a minute. And I want to go back to last night's lesson, just for a minute, and talk about true faith. Real faith means... What to you? Or true faith. What does that mean to anybody? Somebody raise your hand if you have an answer. What do you think? When you hear the word true faith. Yes, Kevin? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? opposite
1: of dead faith.
0: Opposite of dead faith? Lance? You got three more, Lance. Wholehearted,
2: faithful,
0: and loyal. Okay. What does true faith cause us to do? Let's ask it that way. Action. Is it the driving force? Because to me, true faith is that driving force that's going to cause us to act, right? And if I can say that I have faith, and we will clearly see that, show me your faith... I'll show you my faith by my works. So true faith to me is going to lead us to act to social action. And I struggle with this. I've struggled with it since I was probably five or seven years old. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I was a lot smaller and a lot skinnier. But uh, my grandmother would say, you're my favorite grandson. Like, all right, yes, I'm the favorite. And one couple years later, I realized there's my sister and my other two cousins were girls. It's like, wait a minute. I'm your only grandson. Of course, I'm going to be your favorite. So you see how that can mess up our minds even when we're little favoritism? Kind of mess us up, and I think we need to to look at the word favoritism here just for a minute, and kind of define it so we understand what the difference between friend and favoritism is, because they're two different things. Where we might th- say, "Oh, he's showing favoritism," but maybe he's just his good friend, like Jonathan and David. They knew each other's heart, didn't they? Right. So what is favoritism in your definition? What is favoritism? What do you think favoritism is? Partiality. Partiality, okay. Anybody else? How about the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another? Right? What is a friend? A person... Whom one knows and has a mutual bond. Now we see it in the church all the time. People will gravitate towards other people. Is that wrong? That's not wrong. It becomes wrong when it it's at the expense of another. Okay? And we'll see that this evening. I want to start, oops, turn it on, I want to start right here. Everybody has seen this, everybody understands it, what's the main word right there? For God so loved the few? For God so loved his favorite? No, it's the world, it's everybody. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's for everybody. Not just one or the few or the favorite, right? So if we all we all agree with that, right? So if we agree with that, oh, that's small, and I apologize. But if you go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us, as I was supposed to be read too. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You see where I'm going with this? There's a lot of we's and us's and ours in this statement, right? We want to be that love that God is. And it goes on to say, No one has seen God at any time, for we love one another. God also abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. There's your word, Brian, perfected. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He gave us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father is sent, the son to be the savior of the world that's a lot of us's and we's and ours nowhere in that statement in that scripture is favorite the few the only ones that he picked out it's a lot of us's and we's it's pretty pretty specific he's for the world So let's go and read James chapter 2, now that we've kind of set that standard. James chapter 2, and that's supposed to be 1 through 9. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Lord of glory with partiality. For if there should come one into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel... And there should also come a poor man with filthy clothes and you pay attention to one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here and say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world? to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he had promised to those whom he loved or whom, who loved him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. What do we think when we we read that? Do we have some of those issues here in the church today? Do we see it? I mean, when you come, I, I, I've worshipped honestly, I've worshipped at three churches in my whole life. And I've seen it at two out of the three, not here, a whole lot. You have your little people that they run off and do their own thing, right? And they don't care who they hurt in the process. But God is calling us to respond to the needs of the poor as a part of our faith. The faith, if we look at Christ, at the first point, the faith of Christ led him to action, didn't it? Being faithful to his father, he went to the cross for us. He was faithful to us to do that. God loves the world, so he sent his son because of that faith. So if God and Christ show mercy and grace without favoritism, shouldn't we? I mean, if he is our example that we are supposed to, that he that he is, shouldn't we not be able to do the same thing? Any questions, comments? Please raise your hand. I'm, I'm all about interaction. Um, so we talked about faith is what is operative. In a person's life I have faith that my check is going to be there every other Friday right what does that cause me to do it causes me to work to get that paycheck I have faith that my wife is gonna be home when I get home from work I have faith in God that there is a heaven because he told me so. So what does that cause me to do? What does that cause us to do? It cause us, should cause us to work, right? What's what's the common human tendency as far as showing favoritism, I mean, we have tendencies to do that, right? We think we're get out of it. I'm sorry.
1: We think we're to get out of it.
0: Right? into a judge, as to they are in this state because of the decisions they have made. Right, like like Job. right? I mean they thought that he had done something wrong so he was being punished so i guess what is the driving force is that faith really driving us to act james goes on to say that the actual faith is what is underlying their action people must believe in something if they're going to act at all. So, some of the things that we see that cause us to show favoritism, what would some of those things you think that would do that? Give me some examples. It
2: could be someone else's looks.
0: Their looks, the way they dress, their education, what they drive, the house that they live in, how they, how they talk, big fancy words. Why do we let that cause this favoritism? Does anybody know? Gary?
2: Okay. talking about the driver
0: Even movie stars, we kind of tend to put them up on a pedestal or maybe even athletes, uh, but even they can fall, right? I mean, even Michael Jordan, who a lot of people revere, got in trouble with Nike for the sweatshops, didn't he? So, The rich, I I, I struggle with it. I I mean, you see somebody with a fancy car, I mean, I was talking about it earlier, it's like, ooh, it's pretty shiny. And that shouldn't really affect us a whole lot. Because I heard a a preacher one time, he was talking about wealth and, and all the things that we gather on the earth. And he goes, it's like a monopoly game. What happens when you're done? It all goes back in the box. It's on loan. It's not ours. We talked about the man with the talents a couple, I mean, a couple lessons ago, and it's not ours. And we have to be good stewards of that money. Yes, sir. Right, and that's 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 the other part of this. I mean, I think it was either Brian or Rick that said this was a church that was getting started, and that's what they were trying to prevent. So, you know, if we look at it in that setting, but if we could take it out beyond that, who are we to withhold that from a poor man or a rich man even for that matter? For that fact, I mean... If we look at the example of Christ, uh, if you take Brian's example from Sunday, as far as look at me and then turn him to Christ, it was a beggar that was on at the gate. And he made it an example, and he made it a teaching example. And we don't know who that ter- person turned out to be eventually, but I guarantee you he was professing the name of Christ. And who are we to withhold that? So, yes, very much true. Yes, sir, and I'm coming at you. No, good point. Yes, sir, Mitch.
3: Paul told Philemon, when you receive Onesimus back, don't receive him. I think in verse sixteen of chapter two or three or something. When you receive him back, don't receive him back as a slave. He was a slave. That's
0: right. That's right, because what's he impressed with, right? What's he worried about? Your soul, right? And and I and I and I think about uh, Acts two when they all came together. What did they do? They sold everything and gave to who needed it. They had all things in common. So yeah, very good point. Yes, sir. So we talked about these, these boundaries that get created. And if faith is the operative word in our life, we're going to be able to make that social action change. We're going to be able to go out to those who are struggling, to, to the poor, to the, to the middle class, to the rich. It doesn't matter because it is. It's a, it's a level playing field, and we should see it that way because God sees it that way. So some of these lines are also created, too, I think, by the way, when we listen to the TVs and the radios. Uh, I mean, you can just talk, talk about the Burger King method, have it your way. And it's all about me. And it doesn't matter what the rest of you think. And when we take that attitude, it's, it just blows everything out of what we're learning in the Bible. So, actual faith is the faith that underlies action. The question is whether faith that actually shapes our lives is faith in Jesus Christ or something else. So, if we put our faith in something else, I don't think we're going to act. I think it goes back to what you're saying, Gary, is that if we love everything else, if we love as the way we're taught to love in the Bible, everything else is gonna become second hand. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Everything else will become second nature, right? And if you think about this, if you, can I get somebody to go to Leviticus 19 and verse 18 and read that for me, and then kind of give me, give me your, your thoughts on that verse when you read that? Because this is nothing new. This started back in the Old Testament. If you have a loud voice, read it and then kind of give me a what you think.
2: You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I just go back to what I said before. About,
0: you know. So, how much do you love yourself, Gary? <laughs> better than anybody else, I, <laughs> I don't know. Your wife's sitting right next to you. <laughs> I, but so if we love our neighbor as ourselves, shouldn't we treat them the same respect that we treat ourselves, better. or or better? Right, Lance? Very good. What about Matthew twenty-two and verse thirty-nine? Let's go there. Somebody, same thing, read that and kind of give me what you think. I think you're going to find out it's a lot of the same. Actually, if you would back up and start in verse 38. Anybody? Anybody? Yes, please. Yes, thirty-nine also, please. Okay, so what do you think when you when you read that? Brother James? I mean, which 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 law is more important, the first one or the second one? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. The second. The second? Well, it's, it's, to me it's if if you're going to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind, the second one's going to come natural, because we're already doing all that, right? So, yeah. Uh, how about Mark chapter 12? And this kind of goes back to what Brian was saying, them referring back to some of the earlier teachings, James. Mark chapter 12 and verse 31. Probably says the same thing. We can also see it in Romans chapter 13 and verse 9, and we can also see it in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. So, the practical application here is what? Love our neighbor. And I would say, better than ourselves. It's act, act, on, the act on it.
1: judgment scene passage in Matthew near the end obviously the, the standard that he's giving people of what they'll be judged against is whether they took care of someone who was in need gave them clothes gave them a cup of water all those things that they said that they did for him even though they didn't even know they were doing it for him yes and that's,
0: you know, and, I, and that, I have I have that written down so thank you I mean you're, with
1: all these things it's that is the standard of judgment that he's going to use for us. And if, and if that's what it is, then... You better adhere to it. It's a, it's a really important thing
0: to do. Right. So he kind of puts... James kind of puts us in an uncomfortable position by pointing out that if you really believe in Jesus, you're going to act. If you really have that faith and you have that driving force, it's going to cause you to act just by saying... Be warmed and filled and go on your merry way. No one is warmed and filled just by you saying that, by the way. It, it's, it's one of those things where you have to act on it. My, I used to get mad at my... This is When I was younger, this is why I struggled with it. My dad has hardly ever told me that he loved me by using the words. Now, do I know that my father loves me? Yes, I do. You know how I know? Because he showed me. I get choked up about it now because it's one of those things where it's like how naive were you when you were younger and thinking that, okay? Let's move on if we can. Is there any other things that you feel that we need to point out on James chapter 2? Because I'd kind of like to move on to James chapter 5 if we can. Yes, sir. Okay? And it's not for us to hold it back, right? And you can go to to Matthew on judging. You can go to here on judging people. But it's not for us to judge. All we are to do is put the word out there. Who gives the increase? God does, not us. He uses us as a vehicle to get it out. And by our actions and by our examples, we can teach that word and show people what God's Word is all about. So where it's like, look at me so I can reflect God, because that's what we're supposed to do. Did you have a comment, Mitch? Yeah, just
3: one quick one. Did you ever do things you were supposed to do because you did not want to disappoint you dad? Still do. Right. that we do things because God expects us to do them even when we don't want to do them sometimes it's not comfortable it's it's, it's inconvenient it's all of those things but you do it because you don't want to disappoint your father we understand that from a worldly perspective but I think it has some application
0: no I think I think you're spot on even if I think about it as, if you look at it from the perspective of Christ giving His life for us, we have to give Him everything that we possibly can. And that, to me, and love is not always pretty, is it? Love is ugly sometimes, and knowing everybody the way that we should know them. And it's not always roses and fairy tales. It's, it's, love is actually... <laughs> ugly sometimes because we have to get into that part in order to help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kevin and then yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I started. I, believe me, I I struggled with where to start with this, and, and I was thinking, okay, favoritism. It's you could go to Isaac, Jacob, uh, David. A lot of people had favorites, right? So it was one of those things where it's like, where do you begin? Yes, sir. Yes. And being prejudiced is also in that end And if you have those kinds of feelings, they're not right. Right. I, and, I, and I think Christ, the Christianity should transcend color, right? And culture. And culture. Absolutely right. Okay. All right. James chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 6. says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming to you. Your riches are corrupt, your garments are moth eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and you will eat your flesh like fly, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days, indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed laborers who have mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in the pleasure of luxury. You have fattened your hearts as the day of the slaughter. You have condemned and you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So there's. The warning here serves kind of two purposes, right? First, they should encourage us to know God and to be faithful and endure. Knowing that in due time he will judge the wicked. And I think we saw this a little bit when we studied Revelation. And that was about a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, when we started studying Revelation, when uh, Sean was teaching that class. Second, it should warn us not to fall into the sins, to any of the sins that will bring us to judgment. If if, if we have a, a person who is not wealthy, and he, all he says is, if I can just get rich, I won't have any more problems. What kind of statement is that? I mean, I just mentioned Michael Jordan having problems because he was rich. I mean, we look at all the people who are wealthy. Do they not have the same problems, or if not worse? I mean, tax evasion, let's, let's, let's not mention that one. Um, there's all kinds of problems that exist if you're rich. Yes, sir.
1: Well, I'm not Michael Jordan, and I don't <laughs> have a problem with tax evasion. This one still steps on my toes. Right. <laughs> so, while well, I think it is valuable for us to look externally. I don't, I don't think a lot of people would would feel too far off from the descriptions of of wealth and advantage that's being described here.
0: Is is wealth a dangerous trap? I mean is there anybody in this room I mean America we're we're kind of that nation that even our poor are wealthier than people that live overseas right And and what does that wealth lead us to eternal destruction right to be rich without God is to be short sighted from an eternity perspective. And I might not be saying my comments, but you can see them behind me. Um, does the Bible teach that money's evil? No, it doesn't, does it? But it's dangerous when it falls into those who are prone to sin, right? I mean, look at Judas. And I guess back then there was we, we, could, we could go to the guy that had, that destroyed his barns and built bigger ones, right? And what happened to him? God said, "What? Today, your soul will be required of you, because all it's going to do is sit there and rot instead of giving it to those who need it, just like our money today. What's it doing? It's sitting in the bank. And remember, it's not ours. And remember, when we die, guess what it does? It goes back in the box. You can't take it with you. So the clothes that you wear, everybody has clothes. I, I wanna ask, does anybody have clothes when they were 10? Do you still have those? Why not? They don't do you any good. They're probably trash by now. Or my first car. I bet you it's not around anymore. It's it's probably a rust bucket, or even if it exists. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Verses 16 through 21. And I think this this scripture here kind of hits home, and it tells us what can happen to us. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he kind of, you know, there's Lazarus there, and his sores, and he's laying at the gate, and Wanting to be fed by the crumbs and fell from the rich man's table and the dogs licked his sword. I mean, sad state for Lazarus, right? So that it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being tormented in Hades and lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And and look, look who's there. Lazarus. And he cried And said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, knows his name, that he may dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us is fixed a fixed gulf, so that those who Want to pass from here cannot, you cannot, nor can those pass to us. What's the moral of the story here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Gary, did you have something? No? I'm sorry. I thought I saw you raise your hand. So to be rich without God gives us temporary comfort, just like the rich man here, but long-term misery. The ungodly rich mistakenly think that they are relieving themselves and their families from hardship, but we know that's not the case. And all they're doing is storing up uh, hardship for themselves in the final judgment. Is there anything wrong with living comfortably? No, there's not. Does the Lord want us to struggle to survive? I don't think so. When do these become a problem? Elise? Elise? Well, this is 1st Timothy what? 1 Timothy 1st ten. 10. Okay. <coughs> Thank you. James is warning that it is possible to enjoy the comforts of life without God. But if we fall into that, those comforts become a snare and it's going to trip us up from having eternal life. So I know some people that are in the church who are, are pretty well off, and, and and they use their money for the right things. So I would say that with great power becomes a great responsibility, and that if you if you look at the opposite of that, power can also corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And you can see it through time. You can see people when they have gotten a lump sum of money. You see these people that win the lottery? What do they do? They burn through it in a heartbeat because they don't know how to to use it. Yes?
1: Because in verse 4 of chapter 5 of James, he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you have held back by fraud, are crying out against you. These are the people who gained this wealth on the backs of the poor and okay. on the backs of other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the big problem here. Obviously, they, they're so faithless and they, they, they're so self-indulgent that they can't actually treat others with respect, which is one of the huge reasons why Israel and Judah were taken out into captivity, because they treated people so badly. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow the second and great commandment. Right, And so for this to be, you know, tying into the previous point, faith if you don't use your money well and you gain all of your wealth at, at the expense of everyone else around you.
0: You have your reward.
1: You do, absolutely.
0: And, and and absolutely right. But you also have to be careful of the peril that you just talked about earlier, peril that will eventually await them if they don't pretend, if they don't retain. Right. If they don't use that money according to God's terms right. per se, because it still is on loan from God, right? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Ryan, just to emphasize what Ryan just said in the first four. Mm-hmm. So, should we, so we should be careful not to use our wealth in an ungodly manner. Um, I know a lot of people who hoard their stuff. They're afraid to get rid of it. And we talked about that earlier. People cheating people out of money. We talked about that. Uh, living in a luxury while discarding the needs of others. And that's, that's what it's talking about here in verse 4. Or hurting innocent people for their gain. Uh, we see that throughout the whole United States, still, and in other countries, I'm sure. We also need to be careful not to, um, like like, like the rich man, you know, store our goods and not use it for those who are around about us. We've already read Luke uh, and what happened to the rich man. So you got to be careful with the money that is given to you by God so that you don't hurt yourself, so that you may have, have that hope of eternal salvation, and so that you don't offend others, you don't hurt others, and you use it for God's purposes. I think of the, the parable of the talents. And if you look at that aspect of it, if we use it wisely, we're going to get it back tenfold. And if we go and bury it and keep it to ourselves, what's gonna happen? We're gonna be judged by that, right? That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and 23 and 24, after the rich young ruler walked away, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then the disciples are like, who's going to be saved? With people, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If we show the love, like we're supposed to have first, right? And we use that love with our resources. And it's not just about money. It's about time and, and other things that we can do to help people. If we use those resources for God's purposes, then we should it's going to be possible.
2: And as I think of this, I see me as the rich man. But if I implant that perfect law of liberty we talked about last night in my heart, that's going to make me do the right thing with the riches I have
0: here Right. And, and, and I go back to last night's lesson of implanted. If it's implanted, we can draw on it. It's embedded. It's written on our heart so we can draw from it. We have access to it. Yeah, good point, Gary. So James is forcefully making the point that what? Wealth is temporary. And that, guess what's right around the corner? Judgment. And we have to answer for that. So to pursue wealth and to neglect the pursuing of God or trust in the wealth that we have as a solution is just pointless. If we focus on the wrong thing, guess where we're going, right? We already know what's going to happen. We just read Lazarus and the rich man. We see that what's going to happen. So we have it laid out if we don't use it wisely, if we don't focus on eternity. Again, we talked about how it's not ours, it's God's. And we should be careful not to live in luxury or self-indulgence in 5 and verse 5. Yes, sir. Because the book starts off with faith. Right, absolutely, absolutely right. So, I, just just a quick fact. Does anybody remember de Marcos? Does anybody remember her? Yes. Right? Remember her? Hold on, I got it all written down. I got it all written down. You know how many pairs of shoes she had? 3,000. Five shelves of unused Gucci bags. Price tags were still attached. I don't even want to... Huge bottles of perfume and vats, vats of Christian Dior wrinkle cream. I don't think that helped her that much anyway. Uh, She was known to spend $12 million on jewelry in a single day in Switzerland. Want to know how much she took with her when they were ousted? None. Right? None. (laughs) So, again... I just thought that was an interesting fact. You have all this money, and you can't take it with you. Yes, sir.
4: So, I think Brian brought this up, too. Ecclesiastes, Solomon warns us about riches.
0: Like you go the after
4: them, you hoard them. All vanity. vanity.
0: Mm-hmm. So
4: I think that James comes over and brings it to this point that what are you doing with riches? And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. How do you perceive your riches and are they more important
0: than you? Right. Because that's what God is concerned with is your God soul. Right.
4: Yes, it's the end of the book is to obey God right. mm-hmm. are we looking at God are we focused on God or are
0: we focused on what we want? Right. God. right so I have a conclusion so yes sir go ahead Mm-hmm. self and vanity so much which really is the root of all sin and money yes sir very good point so wealth is a good tool okay if we use it carefully we are to be good stewards of the Lord's money and I call it the Lord's money because it's, it's on loan but it's a dangerous trap if we allow or we adopt a worldly perspective of it if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, it requires of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Are we trustworthy of God's possessions? Thank you for your comments. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for listening to my babbling. It's <laughs> my first time, so I'm a little nervous. I apologize, but thank you so much for, for being here this evening.